Ruchim Abayim B'Shem Hashem Ruchim Hashem Welcome to our weekly Wednesday Shir Yudanishmas Ruzlan Basra Chana and Ezra Shabbos Pashas Boi Yud Shvat Yud Shvat is a milestone Yud Shvat is a yomtiv Yud Shvat is celebrated and yet Yud Shvat is the yard site of the previous Rebbe Schusa Yogan Aleinu as you might all want to say in Seich Tzadik Lebracha or just simply Yud Shvat is also Tavshin Yud Aleph a year later the day that the Rebbe accepted the mantle as Rebbe. What does that mean? How does that work, shall we ask? Or maybe people would like to ask. The Rebbe accepted a mantle. The Rebbe was one of the biggest Hasidim and dedicated and devoted to the previous Rebbe. As we know, the Rebbe was not the son, it was the son-in-law of the previous Rebbe. The previous Rebbe did not have any sons. And the Rebbe was not the older son-in-law. Yet, Chassidim pursued the Rebbe to become the Rebbe. Versus, his brother-in-law, Rabbi Shemayor Gerari, also, was a very, very exceptional, special person. previous Rebbe understood the situation and he realized the situation and he divided the situation to fit to the way the mold of the Hasidim would need it Each one was given their responsibilities to the Chassidim at large, to the Chassidus, as it, may, as it is. Each one had their job, shall we say. Rashad was given to take over the yeshiva, to run the yeshiva. And the Rebbe was head of other parts, Merkaz, Yanachinuch, etc. However, the Chassidim recognized, and the Chassidim understood immediately, 
the Rebbe, not just because he was a cousin or a, to his distant cousin to his wife, because there was a relationship, the Schneerson's, not just so that he can carry on the Schneerson name and the Schneerson legacy. The people, the majority, the people, the nation spoken, and they all understood and wanted the Rebbe to lead What does it mean, lead the Chassidim? Or the lifetime question. What's a Rebbe? Pashas Boy, Pashas Vaeda, the end of Pashas Shmais. We hear Akadish Baruchu telling Moshe Rabbeinu that he wants Moshe Rabbeinu to be the Rebbe, to be the leader of the Klal Yisrael. Ultimately, in Pashas Yisrael, we're going to learn that Moshe Rabbeinu goes up to the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights to receive the Teda. Therefore, that being, Moshe Rabbeinu was the, Rabbeinu was the teacher, the master of the Jewish nation. And the people would line up and stream to Moshe Rabbeinu to ask him advice, understand, blessings, brachas, Moshe Rabbeinu had what we term in terms of chassidus, in terms of I guess it would be Kabbalistic, basically more than Nigla had a neshama kloli a neshama that generalized all neshamas together and therefore everybody was able to nurture to receive and to accept from Meshe Rabbeinu what they needed to be able to live, to persevere, to stay not just on the right track, but stay on the track. Not just to be doing the right thing, but doing the thing. In order to exist as a Yid, there was one day and one day only, one sheet and one sheet only was Meishas. We hear that down the line, as we would say, history moves, there was Rabbi Akiva, who had 24,000 Tamidim, and they didn't see eye to eye. What does it mean they didn't see eye to eye? Did not get along? They were students of Rabbi Akiva. Not just students of Rabbi Akiva, who is not just a teacher, Rabbi Akiva says 
אומר רבי עקיבא, ואהבת לריח את קומך, זה כלל דבר לבטל. His motto, as we say it, that in which he lived, was to love a fellow Jew. So how would it then, as we say in America, jive? How would it fit to say that his students didn't see eye to eye? They didn't have Avas Yisrael. It wasn't as if it was a passing by thing that their teacher mentioned. He said, This is the generalization, the big generalization in Teda. And yet, they died because they did not see eye to eye. They did not have fights. They did not have machlikis. Each one interpreted the words and the teachings of their Rebbe, Rabbi Akiva, in a different way. And it was so much so that they could not stand by and hear the other interpretation of his friend, and they could not open their minds and eyes and ears to hearing what the interpretation of the other one was, because they understood it exact. Hence, what happens? The results we know. 24,000 students. Moshe Rabbeinu had his Eid of Rav. Moshe Rabbeinu had his opposition. Vayilaynu. Moshe says that they used to fight with him, they used to argue about him. If he came out of his tent late one morning, he had a, he was planning against us. If he came out early, he was fighting with his wife. If he had... They had every people that had every day something to say about Moshe Rabbeinu. Fichate, imagine that. About Moshe Rabbeinu, person that spent thrice, 40 days and 40 nights without eating or drinking or sleeping. Up in the Shemayim. Fought with angels. Debated with the angels. There was a mach, they, they wanted to take away the Torah from him. I said, why is he taking the Torah? And HaKadosh Baruch said, answer them. And he debated and won. This teacher, this master, faced opposition. Not one person. There were plenty. Then there was Kedach, who said that why? And then there were others, each one in their own way, and their own plots, that had this Yetzirah that came along and said to them, is Moshe doing the right thing? Yet, this person, Moshe, Ish Moshe, on of Godel Me'id, was the most humble person ever in creation. <laughs> How? How do you stay humble 
when you know what you are capable of and how holy your neshama is, and how much you achieved and spoke to God face to face. There's one day that says, that Moshe said, not one day, one of the explanations are, Moshe said, I have a very high neshama. Granted, had somebody else had this high neshama, they would have done better than I do. Then there's an opinion that says that Moshe Rabbeinu saw our generation. He saw what goes on in our generation. And he said, I could never exist in that generation. I am humbled by these people who can live and follow and persevere and still study, sit and learn Teda, still go to shul, daven three times a day with a minion. All the things that call Yisrael still is keeping up. Says how? With what? We're relatively what's known as a der yosum. We have the fine dimension. We have mashpim. We have some rebbes still. But for the most part, Klal Yisrael exists on the Animamin. You see the clips of the Israeli soldiers before going out on a mission. Hundreds of soldiers standing together singing Animamin. I believe in Munash with full faith with the coming of Mashiach. Mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. Who is giving them this faith? Who is empowering them with this? Who is pushing the drive that the soldiers who basically were not religious at all before are now wearing tzitzis and trying to put on tefillin every day? Where is it coming from? There are nice mentions that Shana mentioned the Rebels and people that are going to the soldiers and talking to them. And then there's Chabad, and then there's this one, and there's that one. Everybody's in on it, as we say. But the ultimate driving force of the human, physical human being standing and saying, Kindlach. This is how you have to be. As we hear from the Rebbe, oftentimes Sikhs of missions and operations, and if you listen to these recordings of the Rebbe, you can hear they were spoken in 1990, 1985, 1989, whatever it was, and how they apply directly today. They fit straight into today's lifestyle. How? Then again, do we need to have certain glasses to see that happening? Do we need to have certain glasses to understand that that's what's actually being happened? That's happening to us. That the prophecies of the Rebbe are coming into fruition. And some of us, not some of us, those people that stand in a position still till today, they didn't accept the Rebbe's 
directives then and they don't accept them today and they still say no, can't listen to that Hisnagdus in opposition will always be the only question is to what degree the lion, the king of the forest called over a sheep said tell me Shepsula smell my breath Shepsula has no choice the king of the forest tells him smells his breath he says so? he says it's awful it's disgusting Ew! how dare you talk like that about the king of the animals he pounces on the Shepsula and he eats him The wolf is trying to avoid eye contact with the lion, but the lion caught him. He says, Come here, wolf. Why don't you just smell my breath? The wolf saw what happened to the poor Shepsula. He says, I'm not doing that. I don't want his fate. He smells his breath and he says, Oh, it's wonderful, Your Majesty. You must brush your teeth 14 times a day and gargle with Listerine. The lion gets very upset and says, you lie to the king, and he jumps on him and eats him. Then there was the fox. Fox is already a sly animal. And the fox sees that the king, the lion, wants to ask him the same question. And he gets to the fox and he says, tell me fox, smell my breath and tell me how it smells. He says, I tell him it's good, he tells me it's a lie. I tell him it's bad, he tells me I'm a, I'm a a, a revolutionary so the fox sly animal says honestly your majesty I have a terrible cold I can't smell anything now I can't smell can't call him a liar and you can't call him a revolutionary so the fox lived When there's Machlik, it's Rechman And the Mishnah Pirkeyavis tells us the Machlik is Vekerach Vaadosoi. Now, generally, when you're translating that, it's Kerach and his camp, we think right away that it means Kerach Vaadosoi against Moshe. But it doesn't say that in the Mishnah. It says Kerach Vaadosoi, Kerach and his camp. And therefore, the commentaries tell us that the actual Machlekes was Kerach and his camp. Even Kerach, who was trying to become the leader, had followers that followed him to come to revolt against Meshach Rabbeinu. They also argued and fought. Kerach ve'adosri. And this is a Machlekes, it's not God for you. Machlekes is poison. One may not be involved in any type of machlekes. Tell them, my smell, my nose is stuffed. I can't smell. The Swiss put it very, very, very eloquently. We're neutral. They lied, but they say it. We're neutral. We're not taking your side. We're not taking your side. Lasmir up, geavek femir. That's it. We're neutral. You can't run far enough or fast enough away from Machlikis. As you can't with Lashon Hara. 
But Hainu Hach. They're hand in hand. Machlekis and Lashon Hara are the same. And one of the same. If you're in a Machlekis, you're automatically talking Lashon Hara about the other person. And therefore, it is not just pertinent, it's not just important, but it is the way of life. We need to avoid Machlekis. From everyone I learned, from my students I learned the most. And who is the wise one who learns from everyone? We need to learn what we can and can't do by looking at and acting and interacting with people. What's permissible and what's prohibitive. And thereby apply that to our life and our daily life. To always stay positive and always stay the way we're and the way and how we should be and how we should act. Comes Yushvat. And Yushvat teaches us the Kabbalah Samalchus. When the king accepts a Rebbe being a king of his of his nation. And the Rebbe, we can sit and tell you stories for hours on end. And then there are still hundreds of stories that we can't even tell because we don't know them. But are coming out till today. Stories that are happening until today that people have experienced or something they heard 30 years ago from the Rebbe and now all of a sudden comes to fruition. Or People that go to the ale or to wherever it might be and they daven and they're answered. Karibaruch answers them because of the conduit that they used through the Rebbe. Because they believe that the Rebbe is a proper conduit. And if you go on a Sunday, an average day to the ale, every Sunday, not an average day, every day is quiet usually, on an average Sunday you have every single walk of life. You go late at night, you'll see different walks of life that would never get caught here. <laughs> That's they come not to get caught. But they all know and they all feel that this is where I can go to receive and to ask and to beseech. So Yushvat is a beginning. As it was, as it is the yard site of the Friedrich Rebbe, and therefore we were not able to hear or see Friedrich Rebbe after this, since Tavshin Yud Yud Shvat, since that Shabbos, we then started to see within the Rebbe the mission statement, the practices of the Friedrich Rebbe which he took from the Rebbe Rashab, his father, which he took from the Rebbe Marash, his father which he took in turn from the Tzalach Tzedek, etc, etc going back all the way to the Vashem HaKadosh this is the mission statements this is the ways of life the approaches to life 
that they all undertook one within another. And therefore the Neshama of the Rebbes is one. That this is all one Hemshech. From the Alter Rebbe to the Rebbe, or as the Alter Rebbe considered his grandfather the Vashem HaKadosh, and his father the Magid, Dating back to there, all these Nishama, all the Nishama Klolis are enclosed within the Rebbe, and therefore the Rebbe was able to give us, and is able to give us, the guidance and the Kaychas that we need. A new beginning, like a birthday. On a birthday, some of us want to know. What's the significance of a birthday, really? Does, why does it even matter? Some of us have that question because nobody tells us happy birthday anyway. And the well-wishers, quote-unquote, don't really care. And then those who knew about it that don't want to tell you, don't want to call, don't want to say anything, don't want to... And then those who do party with you but they don't really want to be there, they have better things to do, better places to be. So, Manishtana, what's the difference yesterday and today? The day before my birthday and my birthday. Again, I believe it's brought down in Sifri Kabbalah and Chassidus. The Kapitlach of Tehillim that a person that Dabra Melech inscribed there is not coinciding but as a person turns a certain age turns 70 years old they start to say Seven, the 71st chapter because mm-hmm. it's the 70 mm-hmm. now they're going into the 71st year and etc person turning 66 says the 67th chapter 67 to the 68th chapter and so, forth, so on and so forth <coughs> when you turn 150 you worry about it then till then there's enough kapitlach for you But if you are 150, I will tell you to say 150 and 1. Although I should reach to 150 and still be able to sit in the same till. Um, a new beginning. It's therefore we see that visibly and physically by changing the capital of Tehillim We see, I'm a different person than I was last year. Last year I was saying, and I found myself within the within the realm of chapter 69. And this year I find myself in the realm of chapter 70. Last year I found myself in the realm of chapter 70, and I find myself in chapter 71. 71 begins with Hashem Chasisi. In you, Hashem. 
I find my total everything that I need. So turning 70 is a milestone for a person as well. But every birthday is a milestone. Not in a morbid way of saying, oh, listen, look at the opposite of people that don't make it to this birthday. But to understand and to be thankful for Hashem for every moment He gives us, to be able to say the Ani in a different vein, in a different way, in a different Kayach, the same way the Ani and understand, I am now thankful to Hashem for giving me not just another day, but another year. Another year I move on is another year in life. Unfortunately for many of us, we take it for granted the next year, the new year. We take for granted what we were given. We take for granted what we are said, what we are told. And we just live another year. We live another year. How thankful do we have to be for this another year? How grateful do we have to be that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us this new year that we now move on. <laughs> Turning 60, you tell the 60-year-old, okay, you're halfway there because the person is supposed to live 120. You're halfway there. So I remember many years ago when I turned 60, and someone told me, okay, you're halfway there. I told them, what are you going to tell me on my 120th birthday? Have a nice day. I'm there, that's it, finish, goodbye, kaput. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. Halfway there, full three quarters way there. A person needs to every day of their life cherish and made the Ani of the morning. And they need to be thankful when they come to complete another year, another cycle of their life, another stepping stone in their life, another milestone in their life. And it doesn't have to be the 70th birthday only that makes it so special. It could be a 66th, it could be a 67th, it could be any other number. It's extremely, or 23 or 24, it doesn't matter how old you're turning. It's a very special day in life. Now for those who keep only the secular birthday, perhaps they don't see anything special. Comes some given day in some given English secular month, and on my license and on my passport it says, this is my birthday, quote-unquote. So, Big deal. Big deal. What's a birthday? Some businesses and companies with a lot of workers, there's a company chat, as they call it, on WhatsApp or whatever, 
And when it's someone's birthday, they post the person's birthday, and everybody, all the well-wishers, all the people in the company, said happy birthday to the person and everything. And then you have the one well-wisher that doesn't post on the group, ever. That well-wisher sends a private happy birthday with a private blessing and a private emotion and feeling. Oh, there's hundreds on the list of the group. The whole company, everybody loves me. But that one message, wow, it's wow. Because the person's telling you it means something to you today. It's your birthday. Make the most of it. Thrive on it. See to it that everyone knows it's your birthday. It's brought down that a person on his birthday has a kayach and her birthday has a kayach to bench, to wish people, to give brachas to people. Their mazel shines. And we wish people for whatever they need to do, whatever they need. Somebody once came to the Chibin and he told them, Rahman al he had several children that were not married. They needed Shidduchim. And they were older children already. <laughs> Shibina says, I'll tell you a story. It was Arabim Kippah. And there was a Yid who wanted to do Kaparas. And he had in his right hand the chicken and in his left hand the magzir. And on the tip of his nose were his glasses. How old is he going to read the magzir? He's walking with the chicken and the glasses slid off and fell on the ground. How am I picking up the glasses? I can't put the max on the floor so I'll pick up the glasses. If I put the chicken down, he's going to run away. So what do you think the person did? Shabina asked the guy. The guy says, I don't know. What did he do? Shabina says, I don't know either, but I know he's not standing there anymore. He definitely got past the hurdle. He moved on. He persevered and did what he had to do, however he had to do it, and made it happen. And he told him the same thing as the Shaduchim. Time stands still for nobody, Taka. And we see people, Khman al getting older and older. <coughs> and some people start using the expression, Khman al their ship has sailed, Chasvashol. Person may never ever fall into such despair. Person must always understand that Akash Baruch Hu does not forsake. And as long as you have a Buna B'tachin, and you believe and say, I will, and I will, and I will, I will get married, I will be comfort, I will have children, etc. Akash Baruch Hu will say, Amen to that. Malachim will say, Amen to that and it will come into fruition. As long as the person 
morbidly sits and mopes and says, eh, nobody's good enough for me, nobody's smart enough for me, nobody's this for me, and therefore, I can't promise anything in life. And the fact of the matter is, we do see many people. It should never happen to any Jewish child again. That are alone in life. Never married. Do they have their regrets? Do they look back and think of things that they did or didn't do? Could have done? Perhaps. But as long as there's breath, there's life. As long as there's life, a person needs to persevere and see to it. They say, I can and I will. I can and I will. And I'll find the right person, that person that's going to be good to me, that's going to be compassionate and kind and loving and connected and live my lifestyle in my way. And together we will grow because that has to be the mainstay goal that the house should always be in a spirit, better spiritual state than you're in now, and that each one of you should bring out the better part of the spirituality in yourselves, and move on. So a birthday tells us, you've reached the next step. It's time for you to take up go up a step, steps can, steps go down also. They have a picture of a mountain with about 800 steps and it goes down to the beach. And it says, you could walk step by step, but it'll take you about 15 minutes. You could slip, but it'll take you about 5 seconds. We need to grab a day of a birthday and make the most of it. We need to daven on our birthday. We need to give extra stuck on our birthday. But the main thing is we need to bench as many people as we possibly can. We need to bench as many people that need, that could come on to your bracha, and that your bracha, your blessing, should be in a way that it should be full-hearted, that you should want to see your blessing come into fruition, and that you would want to see only good for that other fellow person. And to wish them from the depth of your heart. And oftentimes, if it's somebody that you really, really care for, really love, it could bring you to tears. Because that's what, that's the level a person's at on on their birthday. So what's in a birthday? A birthday is a very strong moment. A birthday is a very strong milestone. And therefore as it comes even the milestone as we see from Yudshvat, a beginning, another beginning, the sun doesn't only set, the sun rises. And therefore although the sun set, and the Friedrich Rebbe we no longer saw, the sun rose, and we have the Rebbe. The ninth plague, the last three plagues are talked about in Pasha's Bay. The ninth plague that was placed on the Egyptians was the Makas Cheshach. 
And the Torah describes it was a horrific, heavy darkness over the land of Egypt for three days. One did not see their friend, and one did not stand up, and could not move, and could sit down. You stood. If you were standing, you were standing. If you were sitting, you were sitting. You did not. They could not move. It was so such a, a dark, oppressive darkness. However, says the pasuk, to all the Jews there was light in their homes, in their dwellings. The Medish explains, two miracles went hand in hand here. It was an unnatural darkness where the Egyptians were plagued with for three days and there was a miraculous light for the Jews. Even the light that the Jews experienced during these three days was not normal. It was not the normal light, that the daylight that they had during the day. It was pachajot LED lights. No, not at all. It was a whole strong, a whole different level, a next level watts. And therefore they were able to go into the houses of the Egyptians and they saw where everything was hidden. The, Jew, the Egyptians knew that the Jews were going to leave and the Jews were going to ask for compensation. So they hid all their riches. So when the Jews would ask for anything, they don't have. They're going to ask to borrow. They don't have. Something gold, something silver. But since the Jews had this light and were able to see in the houses, the Egyptians could not deny them. Because the Jews saw exactly where everything was hidden. This second miracle was in order that they should be able to fulfill the promise of HaKadosh Baruch to Avraham Avinu. When, Avram, when the Ebesheth told Avram Avinu about the Golas, he promised him, after this Golas, they're going to go out with tremendous riches. And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu commands Meshach Rabbeinu B'nai Yisrael to take from their neighbors the gold and the silver and the silk and the, everything they have. So this miracle, miraculous light that happened, that appeared during Makas Cheshach was also there to hold back to refresh, to deprive the Egyptians of being able to lie by hiding in their houses. And with this light, in the merit of this light, the Jews were able to take from Mitzrayim their, their treasures and to empty them out like Hashem commands them in Yitzhalem as Mitzrayim. What does Yitzhalem mean? You clean them out. 
Chassidus explains this tremendous treasures with which the Jews left Egypt was hand in hand with the great spiritual treasure which they left. The holy sparks from above that were sunken in within Egypt, the land of Egypt, through the exile of Egypt, the Jews succeeded to redeem them and to bring them back to their ultimate spiritual source. We see, therefore, Hakash Baruch helped in a miraculous way the Aveda of Geulas Nitzutzes Hakadosh to Aveda the service of redeeming these sparks, these holy sparks. So much so that Hakadosh Baruch goes and squanders a miracle. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave to every Jew a special light which, which they can go into the depths and the darkest places of the Egyptians and to find what they needed to find they needed to find the tremendous treasure and to redeem that treasure and to elevate it we too are involved in our goals We too need to, we too are working on redeeming those last sparks that are spread in the world today. When a Jew involves himself in a mundane worldly thing, but he does it the Shem Shemayim, the name of God, so that he can involve it to use it for the name to the service of Hashem, he automatically makes it, elevates it. Therefore we find, the hint in the Torah, that when a Jew is still in Golis, in Eretz Mitzrayim, before coming about to the Geula, before the redemption, HaKadosh Baruch Hu grants them this miracle to help them in their, in their Aveda. And although the Cheshach Yechasa edits Varafa the Umen, the Navi tells us how the darkness covered the ground and the deep darkness for all the nations. And the Navi continues, Alayach Yizrachavaya, on you, Hagaj Baruch Hushom. And this is the concept of the Erbe Meshvaisam, the lights in their dwellings that a Jew can prepare themselves with simcha to levov to be mekabal Mashiach to kenu mekarav mamish. But another angle to look at this. Rashi tells us not exactly like the Medish. And Rashi is the, we say many, said many times, is the champion of the Mechamish the Mikra champion of the boy learning Chumash. And therefore, tells us according to the way the Pshat of the Pasuk is. The simple explanation. Rashi tells us that the light accompanied them and they were able to see everything. 
And therefore they knew everything was hidden. They looked, they had to search for it, they had to toil to find it. Turn things over. Look into their barrels. Tap the walls. But the light gave them the pathway to see it. To see where they're going. So that they can ultimately take it out when they leave the shine. The message said something different. The message says that the items themselves were illuminated. The light that was given to the Eden illuminated the items, and therefore the Jew walked to the house, he stood by the door, and was able to see everything lit up, exactly where everything was. It became radioactive. Chernobyl style. And it lit up everything. It's definitely not the same. What is Rashi thinking? What is Rashi's message to his Ben Chamesh Namikra? His favorite fan club. That Ben Chamesh Namikra, that child. What is his message? We're in the Golos. As we just said now, we need to take the Nitzutzes and turn them into Kedusha. The sparks of the mundane world today and turn them into Kedusha. By taking a piece of leather, a cowhide, and turning it into a tefillin, either into the parishes of a mezuzah, of a sefer making the bottom, the boxes for the tefillin. By taking silver and forming it into a candelabra, for a Shabbos, Shabbos, Kedish, By forming a building with a mikveh, Fetah, By taking a lulav and an esrei, off a tree, with its adasim and arovis. And ultimately putting them together, making a bracha, we're making them holy. Up until that point, the only reason we thought the Esik was holy is because we paid so much money for it. It cost us so much money, it must be holy. <coughs> but no. The bracha that we make, Asher Kiddishonu Al-Natilas Lulav. The most simple person who just says, you walk, repeats after you word for word the bracha. Because you're walking through Central Park or you're walking through any other park. You're walking in the street, you're walking on a parkway, you're walking anywhere you're going. And you see a fellow Jew and you say to Yid, did you bench Essek today? And he says, not yet. And you take the yarmulke, and you pop it on the head and you give them to hold together and make the bracha and they shake it. Or the woman that does it. That makes that Essek an Essek. That makes that lulav a lulav. That gives it the holiness that it becomes. Is that where the buck begins and stops? No. No. I have to pay for that asset. And the Seichim say, I got to make a living too. So they know how to charge for that essay. 
they charge a pretty buck for that essay. Now, either I have the money which I earned with sweat and tears, or however I did, or I put it on a credit card and I have to pay off the credit card, which also involves sweat and tears. I therefore I have a budget in my budget I can pay for this for that for my rent the money I'm earning I can't I can't pay for my essay I don't have I go out and I find something else to do a day or a whatever it might be to earn that extra four, five, six hundred dollars for my essay. This work, this toil that you're doing is also part of your essay. This Aveda that the person did to acquire this essay is also and the money you spend is also part of the essay. You're elevating all these things with the same mitzvah of the essay. I'm taking the essay as an example. It could be the film, it could be the candlesticks, it could be anything. It could be the glasses that I need to read a siddur, to read a sefer, to learn, to say Tehillim. I need my glasses. The glasses themselves have a mitzvah. Tells us Rashi to the Ben Chamesh the Mikra. And if he's telling you to the Ben Chamesh Mikra, he wants him to grow up with this and understand it. It was lit outside, it was lit in the houses, there was air. The Yidden didn't suffer the darkness, and therefore they were able to go out and to find the gold, the silver, the, the silks, and everything they wanted to find, they could borrow. Why were they taking it? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu commanded that when you go out and take, when you go out, you should take this. When you should go out, you should ask this from the Mitzim. From the Mitzim. Therefore, leaving it, or deeming it, as a mitzvah. If it became a mitzvah, that by being a mitzvah, the involvement and the preparation for that mitzvah also matters. And this is what Rashi is telling the Ben Chamesh the Mikra. That even the looking for the items had to be done by you. Not a miraculous way. It had to be done by you, because by you doing it, that itself, that Aved itself was a mitzvah. Because you were doing it in order to be Mekayim, the mitzvah, of which HaKadosh Baruch Hu is commanding you, <coughs> to take 
and to, to to ask and to request each and everything from the Egyptians before you leave. So the message, therefore, is that one needs to understand that a mitzvah should not be an automatic thing. Because the mitzvah itself is not only the thing that you're accomplishing. You're accomplishing and you're getting reward for the whole preparation for the mitzvah. And one needs to see to it they prepare for the mitzvah full-heartedly. And one needs to understand that they prepare for the mitzvah. The mitzvah comes out in a total different vein. And whether it be Nere Shabbos Kedish, whether it be Vafrash Chala, Vafrash Chala, taking off of Chala before, from the dough. Again, you have to prepare the dough, you have to make, knead the dough, etc. And if it's sourdough, don't ask what you have to do. All so that you can make the bracha of Rashi's Chala. Shekin Shalom, and this is the same thing with every mitzvah and this is the same thing with the mitzvah of which HaKash Baruch told us that we need to go out of this exile we need to go out of this golos and we need to say the bracha of Gal Yisrael there's, seven, seven, there's a bunch of brachas Shechiyonu Shecholik Mechmas Yadaz Mechmas Yadaz that one needs to make when they see Mashiach when we greet Mashiach and therefore we need to prepare ourselves with every every footstep and every breath and as we embark on Yud Shvat as we embark on a new Shlav just like we do with a birthday Mashiach each and every birthday we should be able to go mechayel, strength to strength and take each birthday and make of it the most that we can so that we become prepared, that we become vessels to merit this very Shabbos Shabbos to all